0: The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine
1: marketing I've ever heard of. Live from the CG Technology Studio. Ryan one a deep left, way back. It is gone.
2: A three run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Was. It's the TC Martin
3: Show.
0: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor.
3: Oh my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ball. TC Martin. We're back
2: to-
0: Now, in
1: and a welcome to you on this thunderous Thursday edition, the TC Martin Show. It is October first. What does that mean? It means Major League Baseball. Yes, we are in the middle of many game twos of the National League and uh, a very important game three in the AL as well. Too, we'll update you on all that. Talk a little baseball today. Steve Sachs will join us, the former two-time World Series champion. The four time all star, Saxy, always fun. Great team member here, part of the program. Scott Spritzer will join us as well a little bit later on as we talk a little handicapping as we get ready for tonight's Thursday night football. Does anybody care regarding the Jets
3: in the Broncos? People with tickets on the game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have one as of yet. And I'll wait till we talk to Spritzer to see if I could possibly force any action. I don't know if I want to. I mean, this is, and I, I've always talked about this for Thursday Night Football. It is dreadful for the most part. It's hard to watch. That's why the NFL had to go to the, you know, color rush uniforms and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, tonight we've got uh, two teams, 0-3, combined 0-6. Uh, quarterback problems galore. Sam Darnold still Hasn't amounted to anything, and now the Broncos are on their third-string quarterback tonight, and they're getting Brett Ripien from Boise State gets the start for the Broncos tonight. They tried Jeff Driscoll last week. Didn't work out so good. Drew Locke from Missouri in his second year. Eh, didn't work out so good in the opener. So the Broncos in some trouble with all the other injuries they have. So I don't know, Frank. I think I'm all about baseball tonight.
3: Well, yeah, and and, and you shouldn't have to force a a, a wager. I mean, you have baseball. You have college football coming up. You have the NFL this weekend, although one fewer game. You have the NBA playoffs. You have the WNBA. You don't force something. Just sit back, relax, and and Rippy. I mean, he does have decent bloodlines. His <laughs> uncle, uh, you know, pretty successful quarterback. The old Redskin himself. Yeah, exactly. No
1: doubt about it. All right. So back
3: when back when they could be the Redskins, they could. That's right. Oh, I said it, didn't I? You did. Oh, me and Dick Stockton. Yeah. There we go. Now the Chicago, the the, the Washington football team, or whatever we just call, stupid name. Why can't they we just have. call them the Generals? Wouldn't well, they be better? Why can't Uh, they be the Generals? If if they were the Jets, maybe they could be the Generals, because then they'd be the laughing stock and the Harlem Globetrotters fodder. There you go. All right. (laughs) All right. Before we get
1: into the sports side of things today, obviously for people here in Las Vegas, this is a very special day, uh, a memorable day, but really not the great memories. On the night of October 1st, 2017, three years ago today, a maniac gunman opened fire on a crowd attending the Route 91 festival, and of course those that uh, of us that l- live here and have lived here for quite some time were here three years ago. We remember it uh, very well. It's it's one of those things where every time there is a national tragedy, you always seem to remember where you were or what you were doing. For me, I remember being at home that night, uh, just busy weekend, just kicking back and watching television and I remember getting a a couple uh, messages from friends and can you can you believe what is happening here and I didn't really know what they were talking about flipped on the TV and then uh, basically was glued to the television and social media for about the next six or seven hours uh, until the wee hours uh, of the morning but uh, of course that was October 1 where And I say the maniac gunman, and I can say that, who basically invaded our town, didn't live here, wasn't from here, killed 58 people, injured more than 800. It was the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. It was one of the darkest nights for people on the front line as well. People treating the injured, walking over dead bodies, trying to figure out exactly what happened and why. I know we all have personal stories. A lot of us knew people that were either at the festival. We knew some people that perished that night. We knew some people that were injured. Me personally, I knew people that were attending the music festival on the grounds there as workers as well as concert goers. Uh, luckily, no one was was injured. But the stories that those people told are um, going to last with them for the rest of their lives. We remember five days later, the Vegas Golden Knights played their first game in franchise history, and uh, I know Frank and I are going to be talking about that. You know, Frank obviously very involved with the Golden Knights, doing the pre- and post-game shows from the inception. Um, Myself, you know, working there as well, doing, uh, you know, the shows and also, you know, joining you occasionally on on those, you know, hockey shows in the pre- and post-game as well, too, on the flagship station there. So we were very, very involved with that, and I remember leading up to that game, and we had some preseason games at T-Mobile Arena, that we had this great anticipation of what was going to happen for the Golden Knights once the season started. Like I said, we went to some exhibition games, but we knew that on October 10th that the Golden Knights were going to you know, open uh, the home portion of that, and all the pomp and circumstance and all the planning that was going on, uh, you as well as me, I talked to Johnny Greco, who did a, did a great job with the entertainment aspect. And all of a sudden, after the shootings on October 1, things were just different. They were cloudy. The anticipation of, of the Golden Knights you know, season opening game, which was, like I said, on the road in Dallas five days later, and then the home opener that was going to be you know nine days later at T-Mobile Arena, it just took on a whole different feel. And then on that night on October 10th, where you and I were both there, uh, before the puck dropped, defenseman uh, Derek England, who you know, was later, I, I guess, later announced the team captain there, who delivered that heartfelt speech to the hometown crowd, uh, really solidifying the bond between the team and community. So today we remember all of that. Uh, and I guess, Frank, you know, let's talk a little bit about what you remember, not only from that night, but putting in context with the Golden Knights and how everything that I had talked about, how we were really anticipating this, but everything just kind of swayed and changed.
3: Yeah, well, you mentioned the, the preseason games, and that was the last preseason game of that preseason. It was on that October 1st. That's right. It was a Sunday. It was an earlier game because it was Sunday. Uh, I was doing the pregame, intermission report, and postgame show. Then after the game, just like we did the first uh, few, few seasons, we would break down and we would go down to the Beer House and do our postgame show from Beer House after Dan Duval wrapped up his postgame. And back then we were doing a 90-minute postgame show. So I remember it was a strange night anyhow. I mean, people were in a good mood. You know, they're in Vegas. It was a beautiful day out. You know, we're out a little bit earlier, so the sun is shining. But then it started getting a little bit uh, darker, obviously. And again, doing the 90 Minutes. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. It seemed like there was a lot of police sirens and ambulance sirens all over the strip that night, and this was long before that happened, and I even mentioned that to uh, Clayton Hamilton, uh, the gentleman that I was doing the post-game show with at that particular time in that season one, and... We did everything. We finally wrapped up, took the calls on everything, said goodnight, said we'll be looking forward to that first game in Dallas, the first game uh, you know, on the road like you mentioned where uh, James Neal got that incredible goal to, to seal the victory and started off that magical season. But as I was driving home that night and I had just gotten out of the parking lot of New York, New York, I noticed my phone kept on just – it was blowing up. There were texts all over the place. So – I believe that we had gotten done, and by the time that we were pulling out, it was about the time that all the stuff was going on. And I had no idea what was going on because we were over by T-Mobile, and, of course, this was across from Mandalay Bay. And I finally got home because I don't look at my texts and that kind of stuff while I'm driving. I try to at least be smart enough to do that. And I got home, and I'm seeing these texts from everybody, and my brother John had sent me, like, three texts. And he's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I'm like, Dude, I'm just driving home from the hockey game. I mean, we've been, we've known each other our entire lives, you know, 50-plus years, and you've never sent me a text before asking if I'm okay or anything. So, so I sent him a text, and I'm like, what are you talking about? What's going on? And he goes, oh, you don't know. Turn on the news. And I text him back. I said, what channel? And he just texts me back, doesn't matter. That's when I knew something was crazy, and I turned on TV, and like you said, Once I turned on the TV, I was mesmerized. I was on the edge of my couch for for the rest of the night till about 4 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't believe what had happened. I couldn't believe what was going on. It was absolutely surreal, and you keep on watching it like this can't happen. It reminded me a lot of September 11th, years before, when you're just in shock and awe. You're seeing the live stuff going on, but you still can't believe that it's actually really happening and going on. Mm.
1: We talked about the Derek England speech that he made uh, that night on October the 10th. Uh, Let's go back and listen to that.
4: Like all of you, I'm proud to call Las Vegas home. I met my wife here, my kids were born here, and I know how special this city is. To all the brave first responders that have worked timelessly and courageously throughout this whole tragedy, we thank you. To the families and friends of the victims, know that we'll do everything we can to help you and our city heal. We are Vegas strong.
1: Derek England, that night, the the Golden Knights' first home game ever at T-Mobile Arena. Frank, you and I were both there. Uh, give us some thoughts as you know, hearing that for the very first time, and coming after what we just experienced, you know, nine days earlier.
3: Yeah, and again, that was season one, and at that particular time, where we were set up, we were on the concourse where we did our broadcast from for the pregame show, and I remember. We had just wrapped up the pregame show. They had done the different things, and they were doing the ceremonies, and I was standing out on the concourse, and I kind of went in, and I looked, I looked through the curtain at the crowd, and I remember when they asked for the 58 seconds of silence. Now, I've been places before, and you've certainly seen things on TV where they ask for a minute of silence or so, a certain amount of silence, and you usually hear a little bit of rumbling here and there. What I remember was the deafening silence that it was. I've never heard a, a crowd so respectful and actually adhering to the silence that they asked for—you could have literally heard a pin drop in there. When they gave that 58 seconds, they raised the banner with the 58 names. It, it was absolutely incredible. And of course, Derek England played for the Wranglers. He met his wife here. He said that even if Vegas wouldn't have taken him in the expansion draft, Vegas was his home, and this is where it was going to be. And that's one of the reasons that they chose Derek England. He wasn't the biggest name, he wasn't the flashiest player, but he's the player that actually was from Vegas, that knew Vegas, that Vegas was his home before the Golden Knights these other players knew nothing about this town except for what they saw on tv and mtv and everything else out there Derek England had decided this was going to be his home he helped a lot of the guys find their homes so that's why he was the natural choice for that and I thought he knocked it completely out of the park Mm -hmm. and then with the first responders and the EMTs and the nurses and doctors and everything that they had it was an absolutely magical night for the worst reasons in the world Mm -hmm. But it was amazing how this city came together and how, what, what a big part the Vegas Golden Knights played in that.
1: Yeah, speaking of the town, you know, this town, or I call it a city because we're over 2 million people, it is a city. And if you're not from here, you don't live here, you're not familiar with Las Vegas, you know, people think this is just a tourist city. And for those of us that ha- have lived here, we realize it is much more than that. This is a community. And I think it gets a bum rap that people really don't realize that. You know, and you, you still have friends and family members, people, you know, that really they come here or they don't they don't get it. They think, okay, Las Vegas is the Strip. And it used to be that way, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But, you know, like I said, we're a hugely populate, populated city. And during that time, I remember and still feel to this day, that you s- felt that sense of community. And a lot of people couldn't understand that. They couldn't believe that. And the Golden Knights get a lot of credit for that, and I think deservedly so. But still to this day, when we have tragedies, whether they're here in Vegas or somewhere else, we still get that sense of people wanting to help each other out. Uh, you know, when a, when the cop was, was shot here a few months back, uh, certain places doing fundraisers, um, I mentioned, you know, I had friends of mine who were working at the festival that night. Um, Brian over at Big B's, uh, the owner of Big Bees, he was working that night and told me the stories and, you know, he appeared in the news and they got interviewed by just about every news channel. And then he also did the fundraiser at Big Bees, you know, a couple of months ago for, uh, the cop who got shot. Uh, it's those type of things that just kind of get you to the core and it reminds you that this is a fantastic community where people are there. Yeah, we're all transplanted for the most part. You know, very few people that maybe we come in contact with on a daily basis were born and raised here. There are plenty of those. But uh, this has become home. And uh, I think the Golden Knights obviously utilized that. They get they use that to get the city together. And, yes, a lot of people say well, it was a magical season. They went to the Stanley Cup finals. And they say that that... You know, Derek England's speech that night uh, propelled this team, this city, and it willed them all the way through the season. I don't think that that should be shortchanged.
3: No, I agree with you. And as you know, I've been a blood donor for a good part of my life. And uh, I remember going to the blood bank and uh, Ryan, the hockey guy, and I went over and we were trying to figure out something to do and we wanted to bring some water. So we went to the local uh, grocery store right across the street from the station I used to work at, uh, put as much of the cases of water in the car as we could. We went to the blood bank. We couldn't get in. I mean, the blood bank that I'd been to over 100 times... I couldn't even get near. They asked us to take it to the hospital down the road because everybody there was that outpouring. And you mentioned the fact that, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of these players thought that Vegas was the strip because that's what they saw on TV. How often in that first season did we talk to players and they were like, wow, there's communities out here. You know, Henderson is kind of nice. Summerlin's really nice. This is nice. Uh, You know, they realized that Vegas was more than just a strip and what they had seen on TV. That's why so many players decided that this was not only a place that they had come to play, but they were relishing now playing in, and they were telling their friends it might be free agents to come out here because of the communities, because of the strength, and they ingratiated themselves with the community, but the community also really picked up and, and piggybacked with them too, and you mentioned all the, the fundraisers with the police and the EMTs and the local hospitals and the blood banks and food drives and everything else they did. It was amazing how they all came together mm-hmm. And everybody who thinks that this is such a diverse community, and it certainly is, yet they all came together as one. All right, reflecting
1: on that deadly night, October 1st, 2017, three years ago to the day. I remember after this was, after a short time, you can give us all the particulars. You wrote a poem, and I thought it was a beautiful poem. And the last couple of years, you've actually spent this day, you know, reciting it. And I want you to do that today as well too and you can give the history and the background
3: on uh, what made you do this well I used to write a lot of poetry and usually when when poems come to me they'll come like in the middle of the night and if I don't write them down I lose them and this particular poem I was tossing and turning this night it was probably about a week or two after the event after everything had happened and I just remember laying there and finally I was like alright fine I'll get up and I'll write it down because otherwise I would have lost it and I woke up the next morning and I read it and I was like oh wow that's what I wrote last night because I kind of remembered some of it but didn't remember it all. And uh, since then, I've met so many people. My downstairs neighbor, Bree, who's listening to the show today, she mentioned that, um, you know, I didn't even know. I saw a license plate on, on her truck that said route 91. I didn't know Mm. she was at that concert. Mm. Uh, Sam, the nurse that who was shot there and she was shot in the ankle while she was helping other people out. We got to know her that season. We met Mm. so many people from being at all the games and that, and it was such a, 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 an event that again, it was absolutely catastrophic and it was one of the worst things ever yet. It did pull everybody together. And so Mm. this poem came to me. So Mm. I just wrote it down and, uh, didn't have a title for it at first, and I just called it From the Darkness because it did happen late at night. Uh, actually, as the concert was, I believe it was the last act on there. Was it Jason L. Dean that was Correct. on stage? Correct, yeah. yes. So, and this just came to me, and so I wrote it down, mm-hmm. and this is uh, called From the Darkness. I wasn't out, Route 91, when the songs of joy were silenced by the gun. As the shots rained down and the people fled, over 800 injured and 58 dead. In the midst of the firestorm of chaos and fear, from that hell on earth, heroes appeared. First responders sprang into action as first responders do, but then heroes appeared from out of the blue. Taxis and Ubers and bus drivers sped down to the venue, now colored blood red. And inside the venue, as bodies fell to the ground, strangers helped strangers with bullets flying all around. Then his SWAT closed in, and they took command. The cowardly gunman was felled by his own hand. In the darkest of times when all hope seems lost, people rise to their best, no matter the cost. Vegas was injured on October 1 by the cowardly psycho with multiple guns. I don't care about his reasons. Glad he's not in a cell. I hope he resides in the worst part of hell. He thought he'd kill Vegas, but he was so wrong, for Vegas is one, and Vegas is strong. That is amazing, my friend. That is amazing, and
1: uh, I think that's about the third time that I've I've heard that uh, from you. And every time I hear it, it
3: still gives me chills. And uh, well done. You must have done pretty well in English. Um, I, I did well. <laughs> I actually had a, a an English teacher that wanted me to go to college and did in the speech class and other things like that, and. I was too busy raising my family at the time. My dad have a bit, had a bit Pulitzer Prize, my, ballpark my, Frank. My, my dad had a bit of a gambling problem, so I had to start working at a restaurant to uh, pay the bills to make sure we had a roof over. You could have wrote there. poetry and uh, paid off some of Pop's bills. I actually wrote something years right. and years ago that was published right. in Reader's Digest about uh, Tiananmen Square and the, uh, the thing that happened there in China many, many yeah. years ago. So
1: Seriously, my friend, that was, that was beautiful. That was great. That was, it was heartfelt. And uh, you know anyone who listens to that... And they remember that night; it resonates with them. So
3: you know, it's well, interesting well too because when I read this last year, Bruce, uh, you know, uh, game day Bruce, Bruce who Kusik, does the, yes. yeah, yeah. He, who does the announcements mm-hmm. there, he heard it and he actually sent me a text, and he said, "You S O B, you just made me cry." Yeah,
1: <laughs> Bruce, regular listener, G- yeah. great guy. Bruce
3: is a great guy. Yes,
1: yes. So many people, you know, there at the Golden Knights, and and again, uh, so today we remember, unfortunately, what happened, you know, three years ago. And looking at it from a sports perspective as well. A rallying cry in the great community that uh, we live in uh, has gone on and uh, survived. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little Major League Baseball. We'll get you updated on the latest uh, Pivotal Game 3. It's a loser-leave town match. winner go home. It's the A's and the White Sox. We'll get you updated on that game. And we will hear from the two-time World Series champ, the four-time All-Star, Steve Sachs, joins us next.
2: Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good.
1: We've got Major League Baseball. Seriously, this feels like a March Madness. You know, the Thursday and Friday, the first round of the March Madness, and since we got gypped out of that, I'll say it, we didn't get it. This last two days has felt that way. So eight games yesterday, and uh, same thing going today. And we do have a pivotal game
3: three going on right now. Do you like the March Madness format of it? Because there has been some talk, and I noticed they were talking about it last night with Rick Sutcliffe, and they said, should they have reseeded like the NHL did a little bit instead of just making it the March Madness thing? Because we could have like a one playing a seven while a six and seven are playing, or a one playing a four while a six and seven are playing on the other side because I lo- they didn't reseed. I
1: l- I not don't, I don't like the recede. I think the seeding is what the seeding is. Plain and simple. You go with that. And I, I never enjoyed the flip-flopping around. Yeah. No, I don't think you need to
3: do I that. I mean, I don't mind it either way because it's still playoff baseball right. or hockey or whatever. So, right. But I just wanted your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I got you. So right now, we've got game three between the A's and the White Sox in Oakland. The White Sox jumped out to a 3-0 lead. A's hit a two-run homer to cut it 3-2. The A's... Oakland A's have now taken the lead over the White Sox, 4-3. So we're now seeing the Sox tense up a little bit. And You can just see in their dugout, uh, they're feeling the pressure a little bit. A's with four unanswered. We're in the uh, top of the fifth inning right now. White Sox, two outs, and uh, both these teams going through pitchers galore.
3: Yeah, both of them going through pitchers galore in the first inning. The Sox had two men on, couldn't score them. Then the A's had two men on, couldn't score them. Uh, the Sox, uh, they changed their pitcher after two outs in the first inning because there was runners on first and third. Then they bring in a kid, he pitches fine, and then he tweaks something a little bit. So they're, they're through three pitchers before two innings are even over. So, yeah, I mean, and I understand it's all arms on deck right now, but – The odds of getting every one of them having a good day on the same day when you needed it, I know it's an elimination game, but uh, a lot of baseball left. But, of course, Oakland has one of the biggest advantages, and they get the final at bat, I believe.
1: Yes. Yes, they do. (laughs) So we know the Astros won yesterday, and the Astros actually get the winner of this series between the White Sox and the A's. Uh, I was talking to Dusty earlier today and asked him, hey, do you have a preference here in said hey really don't i mean the a's they know the a's a lot better but then again you okay. know he says the a's know us you know just as well right and in the way this bubble not not bubble but the way that covid has been where you play everyone basically within your division and then the interleague play you're playing that division so the astros and the white Sox didn't even play against each other this year so you got that factor it's like okay you don't have that Familiarity, you know, with each other, so that could be good. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But you know, the way this Major League Baseball schedule is is going on here. So Houston wrapped it up yesterday afternoon. They are still in Minneapolis right now, staying there, enjoying some great walleye sandwiches. By the way, you can't can't beat the walleye. I know you're.
3: You're not a fish guy. Not a fish guy. Not a fish guy. So I I can literally beat the walleye with just about anything. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I'm not really much of a fish guy. Dusty, huge fish guy. You know, hunts, fishes, doing all that stuff. But anyway, said, hey, we're just waiting because we don't know. We know we're going to L.A., which is another crazy situation because they are going to be playing at a neutral site. And so the Dodgers and Brewers play game two tonight in Los Angeles. So if the Dodgers win, then the Brewers will be sent home. The Astros will be staying in that same hotel where the Brewers are at. If the Brewers beat Clayton Kershaw tonight, then they're going to hold off and game three will be tomorrow. And then the Twins say, well, now we got to find another hotel. (laughs) And they got to go through the disinfecting, go through all that kind of stuff. But it's crazy. These are the type of things that, that nobody really understands how crazy this is. So, you would think, okay, Houston wins, they wrap it up, they get to go home for a few days. Oh, no, no, you're continuing on the road. You're living out of a suitcase pretty much. And, you know, you got no family, you got no visitors, you're pretty
3: much quarantined. Yeah. And also, you mentioned making up on the fly kind of is what they're doing because now with the Cubs series, they, you know, that's a rainout. So, that could potentially go at least one other day unless there's rain again tomorrow. You know, and now all of a sudden there's a possibility of Hendricks who didn't pitch that well in the first game, but do you pitch him in a game three, if it goes three and you should win the next game tomorrow, if it's played and then, pitch him on two days rest because, well, he didn't have his best stuff. Maybe he will in the next game. So there's a lot of dominoes and things that are falling into place, but still an awful lot that has yet to be decided as well.
1: You got it. All right, Steve Sachs is uh, scheduled to join us. I know he's really tied up uh, doing his stuff with the MLB Network Radio, Sirius XM 89. And uh, so I want to talk a little NBA Finals as well. So good segue here to bring in the big seven-footer. Big Bill Cartwright, the five-time NBA champ, joins us. as Last night we got a little taste between the Lakers and the Heat. Bill, this game was pretty strange yesterday, last night. Uh, the Heat jumps out to an early lead, which we have not seen them do uh, during any course. And I'm thinking, okay, this is looking good. They built a 13-point first-half lead. And then all of a sudden, here come the Lakers to not only take the lead at halftime, but they went yeah. up by 30 And by doing that, think about that, that was a 43-point swing. It was the largest deficit overcome by a team and turnaround in 50 years of the NBA Finals. And the Lakers ended up steamrolling the heat last night. Final score 116-98. to So what's going on, my man? well that was that was
0: a strange game, but you know the Lakers have the ability to put a lot of points on the board, and fortunately for them, because I don't think they're a great shooting team when they are shooting the ball well uh and their guys are able to play well and they're able to play the type of basketball that they played last night, which was outside inside inside to outside um Really able to use all facets of scoring, uh, being able to score inside, outside, and on the free throw line. It's it's really really deadly. And also another factor we talked about for the heat. Uh, injury always affects the series, and it doesn't really matter because just the rotation of it, teams get a little out of whack. So Miami gets a couple guys hurt. Now they're out of whack. Uh, and and the uh, and the game's over. Uh, the good part to that is every single game is different. Uh, it's different from a referee standpoint. It's different from an emotional standpoint. Uh, to where um, where urgency plays in uh, Miami. Uh, we talked about it early in the series that they were playing by far the best basketball of anybody to start to start the series of the playoffs. And and we talked about that. So, um it's gonna be a nice test. This, this next game is gonna be a great test to see how much urgency they're gonna bring out there and what kind of Laker team we're gonna get. So uh I, I, I think it's gonna be fun. I think Miami's had a shot to get uh, to get to get a couple games. Uh, but also if you've seen the scores, whoever scores more than one and is it, is it, is going to win? So, uh, you know, the chances of Miami doing that probably not so good. The chances of Lakers doing that really good. Yeah. So, uh, as you know, I'm still predicting the Lakers. The Lakers should win. It's their series, we talked about it. It's their series to lose. That uh, they they, have, they just have too many weapons. So, um, it, it's going to be interesting.
1: So, I don't know. I don't think you've been in that situation before on the losing side where a team just has gotten blown out like that in in game one where, you know, is it panic time in Miami or do you think they can stay the course? And again, speaking from experience, you know, if you lose a game one, uh, what is that mindset like, you know, to turn around, especially in the NBA Finals?
0: It's one game. When we played our first championship against the Lakers, we we did we didn't win we weren't down by thirty and right. we didn't get our ass whipped. But we did lose and we lost at home. So, um but you know, it's one game. And that's what you focus on. So but think about this scenario. Now we lost the first game, we won the second game. We were going to play the Lakers in LA for three games, playing for our first championship. What do you think everybody was saying? There's gonna be a sweep. Mm-hmm. And they were right. It was a sweep because we <laughs> swept our ass down there. So uh, it's, it's just all about uh, you know your mindset coming in. You know it's one game. You know that uh, uh, you, you're a good team. You know the team's playing well. Uh, so you just gotta play. You just gotta play and just just wait and see what's what's gonna happen out of that.
3: Bill, what's the bigger concern for Miami? Last night, losing that game when they did have the early lead because there was still an awful lot of time left, and the Lakers played really well after it, like we mentioned, with scoring <clears throat> points. Or the fact that they had three guys banged up in the game, now two of them with Adebayo and Dracic, uh questionable or even doubtful for the next game coming up. And, uh, you know, if the injury bug hits, obviously there couldn't be a worse time to have it hit.
0: Yeah, yeah, you just can't let that factor play in. And. You just reckon it to like if, if a guy was in foul trouble. Uh, other guys you just gotta play, you gotta step it up. Um this is it. This is the championship series. This is what you've been waiting for since you were ten years old to be in this situation. So uh so you just bring your best game. You know, I'm 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 a big believer is that, in that uh I, I can't lose a basketball game. There's no way I can lose. Uh, But I can get beat. So uh, I'm thinking that Miami has the same mindset, that they're going to throw every single thing out there and make the Lakers beat us because we're not going to lose because we're going to bring great effort. And uh, and then we'll see what happens.
1: All right, the five-time NBA champ, three as a player, two as a coach, Big Bill Cartwright joins us. Bill, let's talk a little bit about the coaching side of it. Doc Rivers out as Clippers coach. You know, on his watch, his teams have blown two 3 1 series leads. We know that, you know, with Balmer, their owner, with the Clippers now, I mean, he's tired of the losing, Uh, very disappointed that the Clippers could not uh, advance further this season. So they get rid of Doc Rivers. And now, of course, we hear talk about another black head coach getting fired. Uh, I don't believe that, you know, he got fired because of the color of his skin. He got fired because the team wasn't responding to him. Could be a bad mix of players. Could be lack of chemistry. Could just be his coaching style. I, I want to get your thoughts about about that change uh, with the Clippers and Doc Rivers.
0: Uh, as you know, well, you know, I, I I don't really care about that. I'm black white, I don't
1: care. Um. But you know, people make an issue out of it. and I, I totally agree with you. I know, but that's what we're I hearing know. and I think yeah, it's nonsense. Right. I think it's total nonsense because I don't think anybody is getting fired for the color of their skin. I think it's ludicrous, but as we know, there are media types that will go ahead and do that. And again, I'm just I'm just saying that. But uh, Well Okay, okay. I, I will say this is that
0: people get people are getting hired now, uh, just like an actor that they have to fit the suit. I mean, see what's going on. You're going to get a bunch of little guards like Billy Dalton. I like Billy Dalton. He was my teammate. So I've got nothing against them. But right now that type fits the suit. So, um, will a guy like Ty Lue get a job? Uh, Will Doc Rivers get another job? Uh, yeah, of course, of course they will. So, uh, I'm, I'm not going to buy into, uh, you know, the fact that that's that's a determining factor. But I will say this: is that it is a little bit of a factor because you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it for what it is, because not because they're not good coaches. Is that a person right now who's getting the job are going to fit the suit? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to see, and it's unfortunate, I'm not going to see any seven-foot-tall black guys fit in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> not right now, Other than the current state of the NBA, there's not going to be any seven-foot-tall black guys hired to coach right now in the NBA. <sighs> so what does that mean? Doesn't fit the suit. right? So um, I'll just leave it with that. Uh, I, I think the NBA, their intent is excellent. You know, I, I love the NBA. I love what they do. I love what they represent, uh, both NBA, WNBA. Uh, it's, it, it's strong. Players are strong. The players speak out. Uh, and right now it is what it is. So um, I am very optimistic that that situation will work itself out. Uh, one way or the other, but I, I'm not. I don't foresee any hidden racist things going on. Uh, but there are fewer black coaches, so I, so you can't dismiss it. That's all I'm saying.
1: So you, Doc, you can't just dismiss it. Doc Rivers actually has already had conversations, interviews with the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Do you think that's a good fit? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the candidates are. Uh, I, I know that It sounds like it's is, his job uh, to
1: lose. It sounds like. It sounds like that's who they're going to go with.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know. I I know that uh, you know he's been coach for a long time. He's done a great job. Uh, you know, I know him. I like him. He's a great guy. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, having won a championship in uh, in 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 Boston. We'll put him far ahead of uh, other candidates. So uh it's just the relationships they he has created down there and if they believe um he's the right person for the job. So uh, uh I'm I'm sure they'll figure that out. You know. I don't I don't own an NBA team. I wish I did. I don't <laughs> own one. Uh to really be in that situation, but it's a tough call. It's a big commitment that those guys run in the program. Whether it's uh, the coach, the GM, um, uh, it's it's really really hard because you're dealing with uh, tons tons of money. You're dealing with fans. You're dealing with uh, investors. Uh, it's it's it's, a, it's it's a big task to take on. But uh, uh, somehow you've got to be able to do that, please everybody, and win basketball games, and not only win. Uh, you better win a championship or you have your ass out of
1: there. So. All right. So let, let, you know, let's talk about what nice really job. matters here. What really matters is the Cartwright family and friends contest this week, ladies and gentlemen. Are we ready for this? The greatest male singer of all time. Wow. Let's see. All right, guys.
3: Time to weigh in. Frank, who you got? Frank. Well, I mean, you know, in Vegas. Can you do better than Frank Sinatra? I mean, really, can you? I, I think it's my pick. I think that is my pick. In other words, wow! I'm going with Sinatra just because I'm old, and why not? Yeah. And, and otherwise, I would pick some rocker. But if I'm serious, my actual, my actual personal favorite singer is one that I'm sure will get zero votes in this particular poll. But Bob Seger. Bob Love Seger. Bob huh? Seger. Huge Bob Seger fan. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go with that. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm with Frank.
1: I like. I like Frank Sinatra. You know, I'm a I'm a Stevie Wonder guy. There's no question Michael Jackson guy, but not for singing. Maybe for performances. But when you're talking about for singing, showmanship. For showmanship, yeah. But how about uh, you know, uh you know what Andre uh, Bocelli, guys like that. Who people don't even talk about, yeah, I, but the range. See, I'm all about the range, the Pavarotti. longevity, Pavarotti's another one, right? But I'm gonna go Frank Sinatra, believe it or not. And I, I don't own one Frank Sinatra album or, or anything, but I don't, we're talking about greatest of all time, Bill. we got to go with that.
0: Uh, you got to go with what you feel, whether it's uh, Stevie Wonder, whether it's Michael Jackson. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, just, it's what they feel, and that's what people have gone with right now. So whether it's, uh, you know, the Reverend Al Green, Or if it's Marvin Gaye, which is probably leading our survey right now. Oh, okay. All right. Um, So it's it's what people feel, what they feel like. And uh, a lot of people are feeling pretty good. So uh, there there are no wrong choices because all those guys are amazing. And... um, so we'll see. We'll see. The contest is going to be over uh, tomorrow, and I can give you the
1: results. But uh, I, I love a lot of different singers. All right. So we're going to bring in our, your fellow Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer from the, from the baseball side here. We've got Steve Sachs joins us as we talk a little playoff baseball. But, Steve, we're talking about the Bill Cartwright Family and Friends uh, weekly contest. It's the greatest singer of all time. Saxy, who are you going with here? Chime well,
2: I can, I, I, let me tell you what, I, I agree with all your choices that you set. Okay, great singers, no question about it. But if you want to talk about clarity of voice, if you want to talk about pure harmonics, if you want to talk about a pure, clear, beautiful, rhythmic singing voice, and you want to enter the factor of range... In that voice, uh, yes. I got two names for you right now bring it. that are better than anything you've said. Two names, easy, easily, and you can check it out, you can go listen to them, and then you get back to me and tell me what you think. I don't, I'm don't. i a music aficionado, Steve Sachs. You know that. So let's go. Okay. Let's bring it on. Oh, okay, I'll tell you one. It was an old-time guy, but I, I listen to this guy sing, and I can't believe the range of his voice and how pure it is. Jay Black from Jay and the American. Jay? Just go listen to Jay Black sing, Okay. I like that. I do like it. Jay and the Americans. That's good. Okay. That's one. Jay Jay Black. And the other one right now, if you ever heard Josh Groban sing Oh Holy Night, uh, it will stop people in the street to listen to it. His his voice is incredible. Uh, I think Josh Groban as well has just got a phenomenal voice. So. Wow!
1: Look at Saxy coming strong here. Impromptu—he's di- just coming strong. Bill, I mean, you got to get Saxe involved in the contest. here, Are you kidding me? Is that? But then again, what do we expect from from Sacramentans, right? I mean, we are deep. We are knowledgeable. We are bright. It doesn't matter if it's Elk Grove, if it's Folsom, if it's West Sac. I mean, look at this Roseville. deep knowledge. Yeah, Roseville too. Throw it all in there. <laughs> Jay and the Americans. Look at that. When was the last time we had a Jay and the Americans reference on this program? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, uh, that's good. That's strong. All right, Bill. Do you concur yeah. with that or what? I,
0: I, I like Jane the Americans. And, and I'll tell you, interesting enough is that from a lot of people chiming in, some people love Freddie Mercury.
2: Yes. They loved
0: him. Yeah. Yeah. They loved him. They said by far, Freddie Mercury. It's not even close. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I never really thought about it. I mean, I, 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 I love Dwayne. I love to listen to him. But uh, I've never really thought about it. So this is this
2: has been really enlightening to the uh, versatility okay. of, uh, I'll, of I'll different t- I'll tell you I'll send you guys a song by Jamie American so you can hear the range of his voice. You have to hear a certain song. Um, and I'll say this to you. His voice is so, it goes so high, it sounds like a, a seventh grade schoolgirl singing it. And it's so pure and clear. And it's one of J. J. Black's songs. You don't really get to hear the extent and the range of his voice until you listen to this one song. Then, then you'll all nod and say, you know, it's true.
3: Are you talking about Karamia?
2: Karamia, my, right. Karamia. there it is. Yeah, he, he play does, that one. That,
3: he, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal performance by Jay and the Americans.
2: Play Karamia. Play Karamia just
3: for one second. Let's, we're we're going to be. Nunchuk is on it right now. I mean, he he is on this right now. I mean, he's almost yeah.
1: he's almost as, as strong as the quake. Car,
3: Karamia is a classic from JN and the Americans. Okay. It is right. one of the greatest vocal performances yeah. of all time.
1: We got some range there, huh? No, no, no. You gotta wait and
2: listen. Alright. Wait till this phrase is over. Oh, we're dancing in the studio. I didn't know here f- it comes her right. come here it comes. Here it comes. A little
1: falsetto there. Oh, my daughter would love this. Yeah. Sax, great call on this. Great call on this. Look at this. That's impressive, man. Thank you. That's impressive. Yeah. All
2: right. What a voice.
1: What a voice. All right, Big Bill, we will let you uh, yep. go get back to it, brother. But uh, appreciate the uh, the participation today. Yeah, yeah, very good. But I will say this, TC. I've seen your voice go up that high. Yeah, it it can't. I'm not sure about that. Except it's not when I'm singing in the shower. It's when I'm arguing with you over Steph Curry versus LeBron James. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I've seen your point higher than that. This is true. <laughs> all right, brother. Be good, man. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> all right, guys. Enjoy it. All right. All right there I'm just is.
3: glad that I could get the assist because I knew the song that he was talking about you immediately. Knew it. Oh, yeah. I, I listened to that song. That, that right. is on, That's one of my favorites. No, it's a great, all great, right. great, great tune. So now we have the
2: introduction. Is that of- inclu- Go is on. that an incredible range of voice w- I- I- that he shows right there?
1: No, that that is amazing. And again, I would have amazing. never, I would have never known that.
3: It's an old black and white video. Yeah, if, if you YouTube it or something, it's a black and white video. That's outstanding stuff.
1: <laughs> All right, so now we can put uh, you know two-time World Series champ, all-star, uh, everything else, and uh, now we've we got music aficionado as well too. Steve Sax, <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen.
2: sexy well, what's well, going well, on, TV, man? TV. Keith, you do know that I'm a drummer, right? I've been playing the drums since I was nine years old. This
1: that's is, why I know music. That's it. exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's right. And, and Steve right. Sachs, ladies and gentlemen, is hireable for bar mitzvahs and weddings as well, too. <laughs>
3: that's right. You know, you know, there, there, was, right. there were some pretty good drummers that uh, got out behind the drums too. Phil Collins and of yeah. course Karen Carpenter. Yeah, Karen Carpenter actually started Karen out as Carpenter a drummer. Was a great
2: drummer. Wow. St- Phil Collins, Karen Carpenter were great drummers. That's right. Okay, Steve. Let me no ask doubt. you this. Okay, All right. uh,
1: best best drummer of all time, someone that, that you
2: aspired uh, that mm. just really resonated with you? Well, there were two of them, and I can't remember their names because I don't delve into it that much, but there's two drummers that had a drum-off, actually, on the Johnny Carson show. I can't remember their names, but they were pretty darn good.
1: Okay. Alright,
2: great. I don't remember their names. Oh,
1: but what about so. from a group a group standpoint for you that, that you thought, wow, man, that drummer, he, he rocks. Okay. One of the best of all A guy all
2: time. that I think just passed away, Neil Perth was a fantastic drummer. Rush. Uh, the drummer of, of, uh, Led Zeppelin. Is that, is that, uh, the drummer for John Led Zeppelin, uh, was phenomenal. I love that drummer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, guys like that, the drummer, uh, Neil first, I think drummed for Boss Gags and, um, he was great. So yeah, even, uh, uh let's see. What's his name? Um uh, Elton John had a great drummer too. Phenomenal drummer. Yes, he
1: did. Yeah,
2: so, yeah. It was a great choice. So anyway,
3: yeah, and, and yeah. of course Keith Moon was a great drummer with the Who, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a, always a big Carl Palmer fan from Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Mm-hmm. He he also drummed okay, with Asia. Yeah, yeah. He he was incredible. Seeing him yeah. live was great. Sexy. We got ourselves
1: yeah. a ball game going on in Oakland right now. Uh, yeah, four. four. It, 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 now six four. A's have taken okay, a six four now. 6-4 lead, two outs, 2-1 two nice one, uh, in the fifth, bottom of the fifth. Here we go, man. So what do you think? And let's talk about this with the Astros. The Astros uh, swept yesterday. Uh, they're just kicking back in in Minnesota, waiting to, to go to L.A. to see uh, you know who they're going to face. Uh, White Sox, mm-hmm. A's here. Talk a little bit about that. Who do you think might be the better matchup? And I know that the A's and the Astros have faced each other numerous times because of the divisional stuff, but... It's it's strange this season, obviously for so many reasons. But the White Sox and the Astros have not played at all this year. Who do you think? And I asked Dusty this earlier day. Who would he rather play? And he says, you know what? They both got strengths and everything. But who do you think would be a better matchup, or who do you think the Astros would uh, would rather play?
2: You mean as far as Oakland or, uh, or Chicago goes? Yes, yes, yes. Right, because they're playing the well. Winners. Look, I mean, I mean the uh, the Chicago the Chicago club is basically way ahead of the curve as far as what people thought this year, including myself. I thought this team probably would have been a dark horse and possibly would have got in and, you know, with the format as it is, that they would have been able to sneak in maybe the back door. But this team is different than that. This team is a year and a half to two years ahead of the curve. Uh, they've got super players without uh, throughout their team. Tim Anderson might be the, one of the best baseball players on the planet, and the, and the world is just starting to realize that as well as he is. Abreu will probably win the MVP this year. Uh, he just signed a three-year deal, and he wanted to be there for the rebuilding of this team and, it's already here upon us. So they've got a nice little window there. Um, Elk Grove's Nick Madrigal is, is doing well on the team. He's like the second leadoff hitter on the club because he bats nice. Um, and, you know, Chicago's got some pretty good pitching when you consider what, you know, you got, uh, uh, you know, Dallas Keuchel and Dylan Cease has, has had some good games. Giolito pitched, a, I believe, pitched a no hitter this year. So they've got, the, you know, a good core of guys. But I don't know if it'll be enough with the eighth pitching, which is really good. Um, the thing is, I think the Chicago White Sox have the advantage as far as the offense goes. Uh, they don't strike out as much as Oakland. Uh, Oakland's kind of a one-trick pony. They pitch, uh, besides picking, uh, I'm talking about on the offensive side, they hit home runs. That's all they do. They don't string hits together. They're not going to double you to death. They're going to get a guy on. You're going to make an error, and then somebody's going to pop a home run. Three runs, they win 3-1, to 3-2. to two. That's how Oakland wins games. It's, you- not, uh, it's not sexy or fancy. But that's the way they're, they're built, and they're, they're pretty good at it. What are your thoughts
1: on this wild card series and the best two out of three games? Uh, is it enough? Do you think that uh, you know, it's a good indication for someone to advance, winning only two out of three?
2: Well, well, because, because everybody in the world gets into the playoffs, you can't go to a five-game format. That's in the second round is a five-game format. It's better than just a one-game. I mean, that's for sure. You know, Better than like a play-in game. Uh, so they kind of cut the difference between the two. So it's a three game format and um I guess it's all right, but you can't play you know, around Christmas time. You gotta get the thing over with.
1: Right. Most interesting series for you at looking at this or even looking ahead.
2: I I, I think uh let see the Yankees are going to play Tampa. That is gonna be interesting. Um the Yankees are not as good a team on the road as they are at home. Not even close. They're like a different team. They're going to be playing in San Diego. I believe they're playing in San Diego. Correct. Um, and so, uh, you know, against Tampa, who was good on the road and good at home, I think Tampa's got the advantage. I think the, the air in San Diego will help the, uh, the New York team hit even better and get probably more home runs than they do. But uh, Tampa's got a better pitching staff. I think they're deeper. Um, and, you know, Glasnow, uh, Morton, and Snell are better than just Derek Cole and, uh, I mean, Derek Cole and then question mark. You know, you don't know what you're going to get after Derek Cole. So I think the advantage would probably go to Tampa.
3: With the craziness that these playoffs are, is there a favorite this year? I mean, a lot of people think it's the Dodgers, or with everything going on, is it really just everybody's got an equal shot?
2: Well, any, the old adage anything can happen in the playoffs. That's true. You want to get teams when they're on the upcycle. Uh, you know, teams and, and their seasons are kind of like a business plan. Do you ever see business models where they uh, they have a, an area of growth, then they flatten off, and then they have an area of decline, and then they get in the trough, and then they start to grow again, and then they have an area of uh, uh, of a success, and it kind of plateaus before they go down again. That's kind of what teams do throughout the course of the year. It's pretty interesting. It's almost like a stock. You know, teams kind of do that same thing based on the you know the personnel of the club. Um, but if I look at these things all the way through the Dodgers and I'm not trying to be a homer cause I played there, but they're without a doubt, the most talent, they, they can match anybody in any part of the game, any internal metrics you want to do on a team. The Dodgers are as good or better in almost every one of them. And so, you know, I, I would pick them to, to go all the way and do it. This is the eighth time they've been in postseason consecutively. Uh, if they don't win the world series, it's either, uh, it, it's something really bad or a conspiracy. One of the two. But yes, they're due to win.
1: All right, brother. Hey, we will let you go. Uh, great work on the MLB Network Radio. Be listening for XM89. And uh, let's uh, talk with you next week, hopefully. You bet. Right. Thanks, Thanks to- guys. Appreciate it. There is Steve Sachs, not only a, a drummer,
3: but sound like a florist, too. By the way, John Bonham, drummer for Zeppelin. Bingo.
1: Miss any part of the show? Go to the website, jam packed show today at tcmartinshow.com. Tomorrow, Cosmopolitan at 2 o'clock. Tracy Murray in the house. Join us then.